0: Hello, and welcome to The Threadless Podcast, where we talk to creative people doing creative things. I'm Carly. And I'm Lance. And today we are so excited to have cartoonist Carrie Peach on the show. She's currently the illustrator for the comic adaptation of the Dungeons & Dragons game meets podcast The Adventure Zone. You also might recognize her art from her work on Adventure Time, Marceline Gone Adrift, Lumberjanes, and her own titles Rift and The Witch's Daughters. Carrie, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Uh, so, how did you first get your start in the comic, uh, the comic illustration world?
1: Uh, my first published comics were actually in my college newspaper. But my undergrad degree is in psychology and cognitive science, so oh, not mind. not art by a long shot. Yeah. Um, so for a long time, comics were kind of a hobby I just did on the side to keep myself happy and amused while working um, in a psych research lab. Um, I really I didn't know anybody who made comics as a career growing up, and I didn't understand that that was a job that actual people could have. <laughs> um but i as i continued to work in the psych lab i had more and more difficulty kind of ignoring the fact that i was spending all my free time making mini comics for fun and not say working on my uh phd application um so i kept making more mini comics um, and i started tabling at conventions um eventually an editor bought one of the mini comics that i made on my own and hired me to do a cover for one of the adventure time mini series Um, From there, I went on to do more covers. Um, I went back to Community College of Philly to learn how to draw and paint for real um, Mm -hmm. and slowly picked up more and more freelance. And then eventually I was the artist on the and Ghana Drift miniseries and then Lumberjanes and Mages of Mistralia, and now The Adventure Zone. Um, So I feel really lucky that I was kind of able to do not a plunge immediately into the very deep and shark infested waters of comics freelance, but more a slow... Uh, stick one toe in the water, test it out, uh, continue to make a slow meander down in there. Um, and I was able to do that because I had this full-time day job that supported me. And also the real privilege of a family that I knew um, was kind of a safety net and would be able to catch me if I, if it didn't work out and I made a huge problem, I couldn't move back in at home, right? Um, which makes a huge difference. You know, I'm, I'm so lucky and grateful to my family for being supportive in general. Um, but I think it's also important to acknowledge that In addition to hard work and luck, like knowing that safety net was there was a huge part of why I was able to do such a risky thing, like take on comics work in the first place.
0: There must be something with the major of psychology because I was also a psych major and also oh, right. did not end up doing that <laughs> um, and went for a much more creative route. So I, I maybe maybe it's just like the the fact that it's kind of a creative science that kind of, you know, it lends itself to other professions. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, my God. I do know a lot of people. I think the, the more time I spend in comics and the more time I spend talking to people who ended up in other creative positions like working at Threadless, the more I hear that. Um, there isn't just one path to working mm. in a creative field, right? Sure. Like right. more and more of us come from um, completely separate backgrounds and majors and other jobs or careers,
2: definitely. Um, definitely. which
1: I think is it's so useful for being able to do the kind of flexible thinking that you need to do in any kind of creative work. Or maybe that is just uh my latent liberal arts degree
0: talking.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you talked a little bit about you know, tabling at cons and I saw you, uh, posing on Instagram with some fans cosplaying on your comments. What's it like, to be a part of that kind of fandom where people are actually cosplaying your 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 stuff you've been working on.
1: Oh man, it is. Uh, there's really nothing else like that. Um, I think getting to be involved with the Adventure Zone is a real pleasure. Um, fans of Clint and, Grif- Clint and Griffin and Justin and Travis McElroy's podcast are some of the most passionate and dedicated people I've ever met, and getting to meet them in person in conventions is. It's so impossibly wonderful. Um, It is really, really cool. I've never met someone in person that I I didn't immediately like and feel a connection with over this thing that we're all super into. Um, And in general, I really conventions are a special place for me. I think even when I'm really busy, I try to make time to go to a couple every year um, for the the sense of community that they foster in general.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's cool to hear that you you sound like you got discovered for some of your your first licensed comics kids just from tabling at a con so do you feel like the created like cons are benefiting creators like yourself in that way as far as connecting you with people for work
1: absolutely uh, i think uh I, you know take take all of my advice with a, a heavy dose of salt because <laughs> I, I can only speak from my own experience but I, I think getting to meet other people in person who are working in the same field that mm-hmm. you are is such an essential part of knowing what they're doing knowing what the field is up to in general and you know every every career has this there are like dentist conventions there are yeah. um, floss manufacturing conventions can you tell i have a dentist appointment coming up um, <laughs> but cartoonists for sure um i think being able to go and show off your work and uh meet other creators is really useful on top of that it's really nice to have this kind of self-imposed deadline of uh, I have Small Press Expo coming up or I have MICE coming up. Um, how can I take a look at the work I've been doing and see if there's anything else I might want to get done for this con or just use it as a uh, like a a marker to assess where I'm at and what I would like to do next. Nice.
2: What was the first con you ever attended?
1: Ooh, I, I think the first con I ever had a physical, bra- dragged my physical form to was Small Press Expo. Um, <laughs> in 2010 or 11 but at that point I was just volunteering um so I wasn't tabling I um like helped out at the show as a volunteer um which I do heartily recommend if you're thinking about tabling somewhere but aren't sure if it's a good fit for you um Mm -hmm. it's a really good way to meet other people who love comics and Mm -hmm. see what the vibe of the show is like that's
2: awesome I like that
0: Um, you mentioned that your day and your work schedule is very structured. Um, How do you kind of stick to that and stick to your own structure when maybe you're not having, maybe you're having a day where you're not feeling as inspired?
1: Mm, Yeah, it is really hard. I think that that's something I'm always asking other people also, um, because we all kind of have our own strategies for how do you How do you buckle down and and do your work on a day when you're just not feeling it? Um, And obviously, depending on what your health is like, what your physical ability is like, some days you just aren't going to be able to do work. And that's okay. Like everybody's coming from a different place Mm -hmm. and position. Um, So but if it is just a matter of I don't feel particularly inspired today, that unfortunately is a case where usually you just have to. Suck it up. Uh, and the more practical uh, answer beyond uh, buckle down is find something that you are excited about and find a way to incorporate that into the work that you're not feeling so stoked on. So if, let's say, just as a random example, maybe I have to draw like a long uh a widescreen shot of a train going through some generic <laughs> mountains, and I don't feel especially excited about a train. Um, if you're me, and you do feel really excited about weird creatures or like dramatic composition or um, like using using that as a way to tell a piece of a larger story, then you find a way to add into that shot a weird creature or a neat composition or like maybe there's some detail on this train that you can get really excited about, even if the rest just feels like grunt work. Um, So kind of being cognizant of the reasons why you got into this job in the first place and then finding a way to bring those to bear on the thing that you're feeling frustrated about is a really good way to keep it, keep it
0: fresh. Awesome. That's really good advice. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And just going back to cons for a second, um, as cons have become more of like a pop culture and less of like just a comic con type of environment, what are, as a comic creator, what are some of your favorite cons to attend?
1: Yeah, I think I I don't spend as much time at the big shows like New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con. Um, I'm having like Denver Comic Con is the only other one I've been to, because they are um, I think more focused on people who make comics for the big two or mm-hmm. people who work for Funko Pop than right. indie comics creators, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, it just means that's that's not the space that I personally get the most out of exhibiting at. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really nice to get to go to them for a little bit to talk about um, like. Things like the Adventure Zone graphic novel when we have a new release coming out and we're able to connect with fans who are already at those shows. But if I just want to go to a show to table with my mini comics and sell those on my own, um, I really like um, Massachusetts Independent Comic Expo, which is MICE, um, small press expo, Flame Con, uh, TCAF, Toronto Comic Arts Festival, are I think four of my favorites. Um, beyond that, there's a... Um, Oh, gosh, I don't remember the name of the website. Uh, maybe we can fix this and post, but it's something <laughs> like RaptorCon or Conosaurus, maybe, that has a big list Ooh. of indie comic cons and some notes on um, like what what the vibe is like and who thinks oh, they're cool. a good fit for their kind of show.
2: I'll definitely um, be checking that out.
1: I
0: really hope it's <laughs> yeah, Conosaurus. Yeah,
1: I, I, I think it's Conosaurus. Like that's, we should probably Google that and make sure I'm not directing people to a horrible, like I don't know, to a flat earthers convention, oh, but God. I think it's Conosaurus. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah. And talking a little bit about fans cosplaying your work, you just had uh, the Adventure Zone topped the New York Times trade fiction bestseller list a week after it came out. What is it? does that outpouring of support feel like to you?
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, completely and utterly, utterly overwhelming in the most wonderful possible way. Um, I, I think comics, um, like a lot of jobs that are uh, kind of helmed by a single person or a lot of freelance work um, can be really isolating at times. And it is. Just incredibly meaningful to know that a thing that you've been working on um, on your own at your desk, um, in addition to you know with weekly collaborative phone calls, um, the bulk of your physical time is really just spent working solo. So to know that something that you've been working on for that long uh, connects with so many people uh, just feels incredibly special to get to be a part of.
2: So your your most recent title, The Adventure Zone, was recently released. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How long did that project take?
1: Woof. Um, It depends (laughs) on how you're counting. I think we started talking about it back in March of 2016. um, And then pitching. Yeah, yeah. So it it has been a minute. Um, (laughs) Pitching it took a while. Um, Working on the script took even longer. Um, the artwork itself I did in under a year, um, which is an extremely accelerated schedule. Like a, a more normal one is about a year and a half for lines and colors on a graphic novel, as far as I know. Um, it's a big but trade, it got too. Done, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a hefty book. It's a beautiful book <laughs> of a creature, and I love it very much.
2: <laughs> so is that one of the bigger projects you've done?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, no question. Uh, no qualifications. The biggest project I have ever worked on. Up until book two, which I'm currently in the middle (laughs) of and very excited about.
2: How many pages was was, uh, the Adventure Zone?
1: Book one was 213 pages of comics. Uh, The actual book itself is longer than that because of chapter breaks uh, and the wonderful fan art gallery that's
0: in the back of it. One, but uh, yes, I feel every one of those. Yeah, two,
2: that's a lot of that's a lot of
0: illustration. That's a lot of illustration. Um, I remember thinking that when I was reading it, because I, I was like, this is this is a huge trade and a ton of illustration. And from the time I remember hearing that it was going to be released to the time it was released, I was like, this is an inhuman amount of art in that amount of time. Like, that's <laughs> incredible. Um, well, I you, do. I do have a robotic arm. So that is probably
1: <laughs> why I do it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, I feel really lucky that I think we were able to get it out the door in that chunk of time because the entire team, um, so not just me, but Clinton Griffin and Justin and Travis were all really dedicated to putting in the time it took to make it the best it could possibly be. Um, So not just working on the initial script together, but doing these check-in calls over the course of the project and talking about revisions and talking about the artwork and um, really, really making it shine.
0: That's awesome. And I mean... I'm kind of curious about how that collaborative process worked out, too, because you're credited as the co-adapter as well. Um, I guess, like, what did that entail and what was the back-and-forth creative, like, you know, bringing this vision to life process like? Because, I mean, as it is, bringing a D&D game, you know, into a podcast and then bringing both of those things into a visual element, like, is – a, a huge task, and I, th- I thought it was cool how you had, you know, um, Griffin as, as the GM, as, as kind of uh, an omniscient entity, like, coming in and coming out. Um, oh, yeah. that was super cool, because I was like, how are they going to do that? Um, but, yeah, how how was the collaborative process? What was that like?
1: Uh, well, it really, I feel incredibly lucky that it was a true collaboration at every step of the way. Um, so everybody on this team has a lot of storytelling experience, obviously, the McElroys, made the Adventure Zone podcast together. Um, And Clint also has a a long-term background in writing for comics. Um, So everyone really kind of understands story structure and uh, the ways that um, you want characters to move through arcs and grow and develop over time. Um, So we uh, really had everybody able to contribute to things like sitting down and talking about the outline and how would we maybe want to change from the podcast into comic form um, while preserving the tone of the the podcast itself, because that really, I think, is the heart of the adventure zone. Um, So Clint and I are listed as co-adopters on the project. Um, Clint takes the first crack at moving from the podcast to script. Um, So again, because he has this background in writing comics, he's so, so good at figuring out um, kind of where to condense and where to elaborate and how to make that giant leap from, um, from the voice to the page in the yeah. first place. Um, so after that point, it really is all of us. I keep saying this, but it really is all five of us um, talking through the whole thing. So I'll bring in possible big picture questions like how could we bring in this story thread? Wow. How could we bring this story thread forward a little bit more? And how can we see this emotional beat that pays off down the line? Uh, and so will everybody else. Um, and I, I think, again, we're really lucky in that uh, Clint and Griffin and Justin and Travis are so involved, um, that, which means that they're able to lend um, this polish to the voices of their characters because they really are the people who know those characters best. Um, mm. So they all weigh in on, no, actually, I think Magnus would say this line slightly differently or like, hey, here's, uh, here's something Taco would probably comment on in this scene, um, which makes a big difference. Uh, and in terms of the artwork, um, we have so many rounds of going back and forth and talking about every stage. So we all talk about the thumbnails, we talk about the pencils, we talk about the inks. Uh, mm-hmm. By the time we get to colors, it's pretty much uh, pretty much locked in. There's no room to move from sunset to sunrise in a scene, but um, we really wanna make sure that everyone is involved at every stage. Um, in terms of, like, the adaptation work that I'm doing, I feel really lucky to be a part of this um, really trusting collaboration. Um, so I get a lot of leeway to handle things like pacing and timing and the flow of the story on the page. Um, so things like adding in pages or adding in panels or breaking things down um, that I think need to take longer, like, on in the physical final graphic novel form um, is left to me a lot of the time, which I deeply appreciate. Um, most panels also don't have art descriptions beyond dialogue or, once in a while, occasional stage directions. So things like acting and body language and staging and fleshing out the world is coming from me um, a lot of the time. Although, obviously, I'm talking to Clint about it every step of the way. Uh, a lot of my favorite background jokes are his. There are some very good uh, <laughs> posters hanging up in the Gerblin break room that I love very much that he wrote. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So that much freedom and trust is unprecedented and really special to me. Um, And it's possible because of the Adventure Zone podcast and because um, the show that the McElroys made gives you so much of that information in tone of voice, in line delivery, in the way that they're all talking to each other about and through these characters. So it, it gives you this really impossibly strong foundation to extrapolate from.
2: That's really cool. That's
0: really cool. Yeah. So, how is that? Yeah, I feel very lucky.
2: So, how is that working experience um, dip Is it a different experience working with a licensed property such as Adventure Time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the the biggest difference is in publisher oversight on licensed properties, because mm-hmm. in those cases, you have to report back to, like, Cartoon Network, who has final say on kind of how Marceline and Bubblegum behave. Mm. Um, and every collaboration is also, they all vary based on, like, who the collaborators are and how much time everyone has available. Um, so I don't think, even with the same group of writers and artists, I don't think you would ever get um, two two collaborations that end up exactly the same.
0: Not for sure. Right Um, You mentioned, too, uh, the fan art in in the back of the graphic novel. And you actually, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you got noticed by the McElroys because of your fan art for The Adventure Zone, right?
1: Yeah, that's how I started talking to them. Um, So from there, I went on to do um, a poster for one of their live shows in Boston um, and some artwork for tattoos that uh, Travis and Clint have. Um, So, yeah, I feel really lucky that we're able to start talking that way.
0: That's really cool. And given that experience, what would you tell other artists who create fan art?
1: um just in in general
0: i guess in terms of like where it can take you like even career wise because i think um i think it's easy to think like oh i just do you know fan art for fun but there really is such an opportunity there to get your work out there in a whole new way
1: yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I think you put it well in terms of putting your work out there. I mm-hmm. think making fan art is a really fun way to connect with other people who also like the thing that you'd like, mm-hmm. um, which is just fun. Uh, and the other part of that that I would of what you said, Carlin, that I would really emphasize is um, like the for fun part of it. I think Mm -hmm. in general, um, it's really easy to lose track of uh, how important it is to make time for experimentation and play and joy in your art practice, especially if you're at a point where um, it has become a big chunk of how you're supporting yourself in a capitalist society. Um, And it's easy to kind of lose sight of um, like, not just the ways that having fun is fun for its own sake, but the ways that making time to play will make your art stronger overall. Um, So I think, yeah, if fan art scratches that itch for you, then absolutely please make time to draw that thing. Make time to draw like your four coma fan art panels of uh, whatever video game you're playing right now. Make time to draw a beautiful, lush, um, lavishly illustrated, uh, like, I don't know, shipping picnic date for whoever, whichever (laughs) characters are your faves. Um, Definitely make time to have fun.
0: I love that. I think I think that's such a, an important thing for creatives to remember, and it's something that's easy to, to kind of leave out of your own schedule. Um, you know, it's easy to look at, oh, I, I want to draw this thing for fun, but maybe it's a waste of time. Maybe I should draw, you know, just the things I need to do for, for work. But um, the reason I think creatives get into doing art in the first place is because they love it and because it's fun. And when you can't flex that muscle anymore, like, you kind of stop growing and you lose, like, that spark
1: yeah yeah that muscle will atrophy you have to remember to have fun you just gotta (laughs) um yeah i've never regretted making time to do like a side project or do a one-off uh drawing of something just to mess around like I, i always come back um being reminded of um that spark um so i've never never looked back from drawing stuff just
0: for fun i love that very cool yeah
2: so you're such a versatile artist and illustrate existing characters from Avenger Time and Lumberjanes so well with your own unique style yourself. What were some of your visual influ- influences growing up?
1: Thank you. Um, I think some of the stuff that is deepest in my my artist DNA um, is a lot of comics that feature really expressive and over-the-top acting. Um, so that range is pretty wide and ranges from things like Calvin and Hobbes that I <laughs> devoured as a kid growing up to um, like some French comics, like Asterix and Tintin, um, and then veering sharply into my teen years, I started reading a lot of, or watching a lot of Sailor Moon and reading a lot of, like, shonen and shoujo manga. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first two full-length graphic novels I read were Bone and then Brian Lee O'Malley's Lost at Sea. Oh, um, so which are kind of the first time. Yeah, yeah, they're so good. Um, <laughs> I have deep, deep emotional feelings for them. Um, I, I think I was really drawn to that mix of um mix of deep expression um and storytelling that i wasn't seeing in a lot of big two comics um, which is kind of why i never never really stuck to most of those growing up
2: awesome my family's really big fans of lumberjanes and so um as fans of lumberjanes we we actually read lumberjanes as bedtime stories so i have a a nine-year-old daughter and 11 year old son and we would read lumberjanes as bedtime stories to the kids And I really like, it's really cool because growing up I didn't have characters like Lumberjanes and I think it's a really good influence on kids to read characters that are, um, you know, very, you know, gender neutral and they and them being able to use that language so that they get used to it. Um, I guess to me, what, what, what do you think the, what do you think the comic industry is doing well now and how could they be doing things better?
1: Um, yeah. Oh, first, that's really sweet to hear. I'm so glad that Lumberjanes is able to do that for your family. (laughs) Uh, It's good comics, and it was really, really wonderful for me to get to be a part of a thing I was also a fan of. So that's really cool. I'm glad. It's a great comic. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think... Comics is absolutely moving in a better direction than it has been in the past, um, but it's an industry that still has a hell of a lot of work to do. right? It's Historically, it's been dominated by people who are white and cis and straight, uh, mostly men, and that's definitely mm. still the case today. Mm. Um, so I think that the best thing we can do as individuals and the best thing you can do if you are a publisher or someone in a position of power Um, is to support work by uh, underrepresented and marginalized voices. So by creators of color, by trans people, by disabled people and queer people and women and non-binary people. Um, That's the best thing you can do to affect meaningful change. Um, Don't make room for hate groups. Don't give them any room or legitimacy in your spaces. Um, I think Mel Mel Gilman Gilman said um, in an acceptance speech, um, I don't remember which award they won, sorry, Mel, Uh, they were talking about gatekeepers um, and they said something that's really stuck with me, which I will probably misquote, but it was like, if you're positioned at a gate, so if you're a publisher, if you're someone in a position of power in comics, um, if you're positioned at a gate, the best thing you can do is to hold that gate open. Um, And I think that's a really important attitude to have is how can I make things better for the people who are coming up after me?
2: Mm. I love
0: that. Yeah, that's super important. And um, Mm. I guess just kind of uh, piggybacking on the topic of um, the comic industry, what are some of your uh, I mean we heard like Lost and see a little bit but what are some of your favorite comics of all time?
1: Oh man, this is a you, you <laughs> sent me you sent me this question in advance and I, I sat down I was like what how can I make this list a manageable size? It's an unfair um, question
0: too because I don't think I could answer it back like, yeah. <laughs> and be like oh, oh, oh how long man, how much that was, time you That have? was
1: my strategy was I was going to turn it around and say hey oh. you start and then I will think about how to narrow my list down um, Yeah it is hard which is a wonderful thing right? We are we're <laughs> (laughs) living in a time when thanks to things like web comics um comics are more accessible than ever it is so easy to um walk into any bookstore and ask about graphic novels barnes and noble has a ya graphic novel section now Mm -hmm. which is rad Mm -hmm. as hell um and anybody can put a comic online and you can read it uh in a heartbeat Mm. um so some of the stuff um that i love and will recommend without hesitation um uh there are Things like Snot Girl, um, which is the only monthly comic I'm reading right now, Um, a bunch of manga like Delicious in Dungeon, um, Bride Story, um, Ranma, and Full Metal Alchemist are things I'm rereading Mm. and deeply enjoying. Um, The Prince and the Dressmaker was a graphic novel that came out last year that I loved to pieces. Um, and then a bunch of web comics like Octopus Pie and Witchy and Travelog and Check, Please and Agents of the Realm are perennial favorites and things I always look forward to updates from. Very cool. Um, nice. Yeah. What else? Um, <laughs> I, my roommate just finished rereading Pluto and they're going to make me reread it also so I can cry all over again <laughs> about the tragedy of artificial intelligence. Um, comics are good, actually. Storytelling with words and pictures is a powerful thing.
2: Awesome, definitely check it out. Thank you.
1: Anything witchy? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listen, October is coming. Yeah. Uh, it is currently a hundred degrees in my tiny office, but I can feel <laughs> fall around the corner. It's coming hey, soon. Hey, pumpkin
2: spice lattes are already out. Yes.
0: <laughs> Spookiness just around the. corner. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, oh man, I think that does it for me. I think we're just. Yeah. So yeah. I
2: guess, what would you tell other creators who want to break into the comic world?
0: Um, I, I think
1: the best way to start making comics Uh, and this too feels like a cop-out answer really is to make comics um, which is uh, can be intimidating but I think the most practical way to break that down is to start with the smallest possible unit of comic Um, so what that is for you might vary maybe it is making like a daily diary strip just about what you've done because the material is right there Um, maybe it's contributing a one-page short comic about a favorite memory of a book to an anthology Uh, Or maybe it's just making a one page folding um, eight panel mini comic, um, which is probably the first kind of comic I ever made. Um, But I I think the satisfaction of actually completing a comic, like sitting down and being able to show it to someone else and look back on this finished work um, is really, it's a great feeling um, and it's a good motivator and it's also a good way to get a sense of if it's something you actually enjoy. Um, Finishing a thing is very different from starting a thing and starting with a small and manageably sized comics project makes it more likely that you'll get to a stage where you can finish it and can take a look and see if you want to do it more. Um, I bet you'd like it. Comics is uh, a really powerful medium. Um, I love words and I love pictures and I, I love being able to combine the two of them into stories.
2: That's
0: awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so uh, questions from the internet. We got one from uh, Ally and that's at mama underscore ally underscore cat. Um, What motivates you to go through with so many comic ideas, and how do you put yourself in the mood to create art?
1: Mm, That's a good question. Um, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier um, in terms of how to make a project interesting for yourself if you feel like you're struggling with it. But I guess follow through and mood are two kind of separate facets of that question. Um, so mood, um, I think for me, what helps me getting in the mood to work really is establishing a routine. And obviously that varies. Some people are motivated by spontaneity. I am not, I am a grandmother before my time. And I, uh, <laughs> I put myself in the mood by sitting down at my desk at, you know, um, 830 every morning and, um, picking what dance pop I want to listen to while I do my warm-ups. Nice. Um, and really starting getting through that routine kind of tricks my brain into thinking it's ready to work even on days when it doesn't quite feel like that yet. Um, and in terms of follow through, um, I think part of it is bribes. Part of it is, uh, <laughs> taking breaks when I need to and, uh, bribing myself with things like a walk outside or a break to see a friend. Um, Which is uh, function not only as like a lizard brain motivator, but also as a way to break what can seem like an insurmountable task down into manageable pieces. Mm, So it's much easier to finish something if you uh, the thing that you're finishing isn't, oh, my God, I have to finish this book, but is rather, okay I have to ink three pages today. That's a human amount of work that a human could probably do on this day. Um, And even beyond that, some days, my to do list ends up getting broken down further into like ink these characters, ink this background, ink this train, go to the grocery store. Um, So breaking things down into pieces that will work for you and pieces that are realistic for you to manage on any given day um, is the best way that I find to actually uh, or like that greatly increases my likelihood of actually finishing a project. Um, I get very, very scared and procrastinate a lot when I am uh, just looking at a giant to-do list item Mm -hmm. that isn't broken down into um, concrete chunks. So that's usually the first thing I do when I sit down and uh, I'm looking at a new project is break it down as far as I possibly can.
0: That's really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, that's that's all we got for you.
1: Cool. Thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, well, if you are, if you like me are on the internet, you can find me on Twitter at Carrie Draws. It's at C-A-R-E-Y Draws. Um, my website is com Wow. Let me try that again. My website is Um And if you want to check out The Adventure Zone, the book by Clint and Griffin and Justin and Travis McElroy and me, Carrie Peach, um, you can find it online at TheAdventureZoneComic.com. And we'll have an exciting announcement about book two, Murder on the Rockport Limited, at New York Comic Con this year. So look forward to that in October.
0: (laughs) Ooh, that's exciting. And everyone should check out all of those things because, um, Carrie, your work is amazing and The Adventure Zone has been uh, such a fun and and just cool adaptation and read. Oh,
1: thank you. I'm so glad to hear it.
0: That means a lot. Awesome.
2: Thanks for talking to us.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We record at Flashpoint Chicago in the heart of downtown. Special thanks to the amazing Flashpoint team for editing our show and making us sound awesome. The music on the show is by Robot Boot. If you want to hear more of his amazing tunes, check him out at soundcloud.com slash Boot. The Threadless podcast is brought to you by Threadless Artist Shops. Learn more about how to open your own free online store at threadless.com slash You make art, we'll do the rest.